Well, this morning we are, we've reached talk number two in a series of seven talks that we're going to be doing um, over, the, over the next couple of weeks on the book of Second Timothy. Um, and we're going to be looking at these, these verses that we've had read for us this morning from chapter two, uh, verses one to 13. Sticks and stones may break my bones. So that is something that children say to each, uh, say, say to each other in England. I, I wasn't sure if it was just Irish children that spoke to each other like that. For one reason or another, a phrase I've just been reflecting this week, um, not necessarily on the fact that, w- wondering why we say it, but actually how untrue it is. I'm not sure... Uh, what your experiences have been, but as I think back to the relationships and circumstances in my life that have maybe gone wrong or been difficult in some way or have ended badly, words have often been uh, quite a significant part of that experience. Whether I've been impacted by something that someone has said to me in a wrong way Or maybe instead I've longed and wished for a certain thing to be said and it hasn't been said. Like, I love you too. I'm sorry. Thank you. I forgive you. Or I shouldn't have said that. Words, it seems to me, are in fact very powerful things and not as harmless as this old rhyme would suggest. It's the same for Christian witness too. Words matter. Uh, as Christians, we are called not just to believe in the power of the wor- in power of words, but more specifically, to believe in the power of God's word. Which is something that the Apostle Paul is pointing out for us here in verse nine. If you want to just look at it with me for a few moments, Paul says, "God's word is not chained." God's word is not chained. God's word is, is greater than the power of prison walls. God's word is greater than the power of chains of iron. God's word is not chained. Paul, what Paul is doing here is he's reaching deep within his Jewish traditions for the theology that would sustain him and for the theology that he believed would sustain Timothy and anyone else like you and me, that look at their example. And this is ultimately, I guess, really what I want us to think about this morning. God's word as power, God's word as a power that sustains us. God's word as a power that sustains us. One of the most powerful themes, for example, in the prophet uh, Isaiah's writings, especially in chapters 40 and 55, are exactly that. The living and sustaining power of God's word. Let me read a couple of verses for you. Firstly, from Isaiah 40, uh, verses 6 to 8. Isaiah writes this, All flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. In chapter 55, this time from verses 10 to 11, Isaiah writes this, 
as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So it is for my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for what I sent it, why I sent it. So God's word endures forever. God's word will accomplish and achieve all that he sends it to do. God's word endures forever and it will accomplish everything that he sends it to do. This is exactly what Isaiah wants us to to hear. God's word is the thing that will sustain his people Israel as they are in exile and oppression in Babylon. What is, I guess, interesting for us in terms of our 2 Timothy 2 passage are the statements of trust. I didn't read them, but the prophet Isaiah puts them either side of the passage that I have read. And what we see there in the background are traces of a much bigger, deeper, richer picture. A royal, anointed servant of the Lord who is the one who will accomplish the salvation that God promises not just in his words, but ultimately in his obedient suffering. And this is exactly what we find in this passage of ours this morning from 2 Timothy 2. Paul provides for us a story within a story. A story within a story. Here in the story of the first steps of the early church are seeds of the same larger purposes that Isaiah spoke about. The larger purposes of God at work in his world. And Paul is not just writing in this way so that we consider that um, Jesus was bringing Israel's history toward its intended goal. But this this story has to do with you and me. This story is about us. Within the picture, we're also invited to see that what the covenant God was doing in and with Israel through the life and and ministry of Jesus, is what the Creator God is doing in and with the whole world. This is our story. It has to do with you and me. The Creator God who loves His world and intended to save it, speaks His word in an utterly new way into the transitoriness and the perishability of the human condition. He joins us, God joins us in our lostness and he visits us and redeems us. This is exactly what Paul wants Timothy to hear and I think it's just what we need to hear. Let's look at verse 8 together. Paul says, This is my gospel. Not just the God bringing Israel toward its intended goal, but the God breathing new life, becoming flesh. Not just a system of religion or even a message about how people can be saved, even though it includes that. Paul's gospel is this. Jesus is king. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Lord of the world. He And he alone is the word that the prophets spoke about and the word that the entire gospel message now centers on. 
Jesus Christ, the Word of God, become flesh, come near. And just as with Isaiah, confidence in God's Word was meant to sustain God's people when they were suffering, to give them courage and hope when they were being oppressed by the world around them, it's exactly the same with what Paul is trying to tell us here. So with that in mind, there are just three things Three pieces of this passage I want us to focus on for the next ten minutes that we have before we finish. And I want to do that by focusing on three words. I want us to think about the word endure. I want us to think about the word reflect. And then finally, the word remember. Endure, reflect, and remember. Key key parts of what Paul, I believe, is teaching us. So let's start with verse 3, if you want to turn there. Paul says, we are to endure. This letter to Timothy insists that he must be prepared to face whatever trials and sufferings come his way as he announces and lives out the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom come and his kingdom coming. Paul introduces us to these um, vivid images, firstly of the soldier, the athlete, and finally the farmer as he instructs Timothy in how to be strong. Timothy might be weak and timid in himself, but he is to find his strength and power for service, not in himself alone, but in the grace that God supplies. God's grace saves us and keeps us, but it also provides us with the inner motivation and strength to carry on in God's work, even when we feel like giving up. I'm not not sure if that's something that you can relate to, but when things get more complicated than we know how to deal with on our own, when people hurt us, when a loved one dies, when we feel lost in our own lives, when our workplace becomes a nightmare to be in, when our home life is under threat, when we are unsure of which way to go or how to make the right decisions... God's grace saves us and keeps us. Our focus, as verse 4, I think, clearly shows, needs to be on our commanding officer, as Paul says. Our focus needs to be on Jesus. Our focus needs to be on competing in the way that he has instructed us and not to allow ourselves to be distracted. The Christian for Paul cannot expect a fruitful spiritual life without perseverance and effort. I think this is clear from this passage in 2 Timothy 2. But that's not all Paul says. Let's look at at verse 7 together. Paul also says that we are to reflect. Reflect on what I'm saying, Paul says. This runs alongside of verse 2 as well, where Paul encourages Timothy to take strength from the things that he's heard Paul saying, so that he will grow, continue to grow, and to teach others too. More significantly for us, and this is the thing I really wanted to highlight for us this morning, is this next piece of the verse. The Lord will give you insight into all of this. The Lord will give you insight into all of this. I think just reflecting on this and preparing throughout the weekend, this is such uh, such an amazing line. God... God's going to help us do this. We're not on our own. 
God is going to help us do this. God is going to give us the insight that we need. Key to the experience and to the understanding of the early church was that in Jesus' physical absence, there was now another. And this, of course, is not just some random idea of Paul's, but something that Jesus himself spoke about when he was trying to comfort his own disciples. Jesus said this, I will ask the Father to give you another, a helper, someone to be with you forever, just like the word that endures forever that the prophet Isaiah spoke about. The Holy Spirit comes to unite us with Jesus so that we can know the the love of the Father too and in in that gain new purpose for our lives where we can each play our part in the work of God in the world around us. Empowered by the Spirit, we don't just point to and speak about a picture of a better future, but empowered by the Spirit, we start to embody and reflect that in the here and now. Reflect on what I'm saying. The Lord will give you insight. And finally then, Paul says that we are to remember. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Foundation to this idea of remembering for Paul, as we can see, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul expresses this further in, 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 when he was writing his letter to the book to the, the church in Philippi. He says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of suffering, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Writing to the church in Corinth too, Paul says this, that without the resurrection, the Christian message is emptied of its essential content. What might he have meant by that? He writes this, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Timothy is called to remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Not just as some objective reality, but as a living and continuing presence in his daily life. If the story of Jesus had ended with suffering, with his crucifixion, then the victory would have been with men and the powers of darkness in this world. But the last word is never with men. And I wonder if some of us need to hear that afresh this morning. The last word is not with men. The last word is God's, as the resurrection was to testify Timothy must remember this. The grave is no longer a place of despair, but a bed of hope. The resurrection is the present tip of the future iceberg. God brought Jesus through death and out the other side into a new dimension of life where death has no longer got any authority. And the remarkable thing for us as Christians is that what was true of Jesus is true of us. This is our story. 
Writing again this time to the church in Rome, Paul says this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to you in your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. As we enter into union with Jesus to know Christ, then we begin to journey toward ourselves, toward transformation. Empowered by the Spirit, we don't just point to and speak about this future of the world, but in the power of the Spirit, we start to embody that reality now. Our being united with Christ initiates a conformity to Christ so that this new identity and vocation become habitual, uh, regular, part of the fabric of our daily lives, just as it was for Jesus himself. I want to finish just by leaving our Second Timothy 2 passage and thinking about the story in, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 24 where Jesus appears, having risen, Jesus appears to the disciples as they walk on the Emmaus Road. The risen Jesus appears to them and walks with them and talks with them. But it's not until he breaks bread and gives it to them that their eyes are opened which is, of course, for us, symbolic of the reality of Jesus' presence among us as the church through the sacrament of communion, of, of the Eucharist, which Jesus himself gave us to remember him by. Jesus doesn't call us to walk alone. God's Spirit is with us. He promises to come near, to show himself to us, and to feed us in this meal of hope as we remember him and journey after him. Words, it seems to me, are very powerful things and not as harmless as that rhyme would suggest. It's exactly the same for Christian witness. Words matter. As Christians, we are called to believe in the power of words. Which of these three words of Paul's do you need to hear this morning? Is it the call to endure a difficult relationship or set of circumstances? Is it the promise of God's presence in the midst of that place that you find yourself in to, to give you insight as you reflect on everything that you're experiencing? Or is it the call to remember the reality of Christ crucified as a living and continuing presence in your daily life. Your need for the power and inner reinforcement that the spirit of the risen Christ brings into our lives.